Good morning, 360 family. Good to see you all. We continue our conversations looking through a distinct set of lenses at the Christmas story. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there are four writers of the stories uh, and the experiences of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find them at the beginning of the New Testament. And uh, each of these, as we've looked at before, have uh, a different perspective, a different angle that they're trying to get us to see of Jesus. It's like a diamond looking at it from a different angle. We've landed in an unusual uh, book for the Christmas story. If you don't know the Bible again, you would turn to the book of Luke to find the Christmas story. Most people do. That's where the shepherds were abiding in the fields and the angels appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone upon them and they were navigated toward the manger scene as we call it and that's, that, that's the most familiar story. It's a beautiful story, beautiful uh, description of what happened that evening. And then if you want to know uh, a little more about the Christmas story, you might turn to the book of Matthew. Turning to the book of John is an unusual place to look at the Christmas story But what we're finding is that it is a a profound perspective that John gives because John does not start in Bethlehem. John does not, like Matthew, start in places like uh, uh, David or Abraham where he traces the genealogy back. It does not include, include the details of what happened that evening. There are no shepherds and there's no star, there's no angels from John's perspective. In fact, he begins in the ethereal beginning. And what I mean by that is that place that is mysterious, where God said, let's let uh, there be light, and where God began to create that place where is very relevant and a very hot topic these days is a point of discussion. Where did it all begin? Where, where is the beginning of creation? And John begins there. And, and so when we look at the book of John, he gives us a more eternal perspective of Christ, a more uh, ethereal perspective of Christ. And I would propose to you today that it's not only an eternal perspective, but it's an internal perspective. Being the best friend of Jesus, he gives us the, the inner workings of Christ and what Christ can offer us from the inside out. You find uh, in John the, the more inside life of Christ, his heart, his thinking, his spirit, his soul. And that is, lines up with the, the beginning of the, of the book of John. Now, before we begin, we're going to, uh, let me lay a foundation of, uh, that, that has to do with language. As we know, uh, in any language, I don't care if it's, if it's Chinese, if it's Arabic, if it's English, wherever you begin to communicate in that language, you're going to have a better chance of, of uh, having the essence of what you're saying. So for example, if we're writing a story and we say, boy, it was raining like cats and dogs, that's not going to translate very well into other, other languages, but we would all know what that means. We might say, hey, file that in your hard drive. And we know, hey, that's going to be your memory bank. But then when you try to translate that to other languages, you, it's going to, as they say, get lost in translation. 
It's the reason that we often go back to the original language that the Bible was written in. There are some uh, in the New Testament, mainly Greek, and then the Old Testament, mainly Hebrew. What it is not is some scholarly show-off trophy moment of like, hey, look at, you know, look how much I know about the Greek. I will say to you that it's kind of a ridiculous endeavor when you studied languages in seminary uh, that you're going to like take a semester of, you know, Greek and all of a sudden be an expert at it. No more than you take a semester of Spanish and now I can now study the Bible in Spanish. You see what I'm saying? There's this marvelous thing that uh, we have called a Bible program. And uh, anymore, uh, you can have programs where you just mouse over the word and you can uh, find out what the Greek is and where it came from and the intention of it. it. It is a truly marvelous thing. What I'm doing right now is making sure that you do not look at me like a scholarly expert. I, uh, I used my mouse and my computer and uh, this is what I'm going to show to you. However, it is important for us to understand that languages are, it's important to go back to the original writer and what language he or she was writing in, because now you're going to find the intent. And there's, there are times where we really want to get down to the intent of it. The second thing I would say is English does a marvelous job at condensing layers of life into one word, unfortunately. Uh, we're very familiar with the word love. And so, you know, I love ice cream. I, I love, uh, you know, uh, TV. I love movies and I love God. And uh, all, all of those layers of life are condensed into, into one uh, word. Uh, in other languages, like in the Greek, there are four words. Sometimes we say there's only three, but there's four words for love. Um, storge is, a, is like a family love. So I would say to, to my mom, I storge you. I love you as my parent, as my family. There's philia love that we would say we're brothers in Christ. I philia you. There is eros, which is the physical love that God designed for a man and a woman. And there is, uh, there's agape love, which is the love, a selfless uh, sacrificial love that is divine, that is from God. And so wouldn't it be cool if you were able to say to your brother in Christ, I feel you. In other words, that means I love you as a brother because it, it allows us to be specific about what we are talking about. But in the English language, we're condensed into one word. The same is true for the word that we're going to look at today, and that word is life. So we ask the question, how's life? Okay, what kind of life? You mean like my life this past week, my life in general, my eternal life? Uh, unfortunately, we condense that down into one word. In the Greek, there are three words for the, for the word uh, life, and this is where it becomes of great value to go back and look at the layers of that word. There is the word bios, where we get biology. That means our existence. That, it would be totally appropriate to say, hey, how was your bios this week? In other words, your life circumstance, your job, your marriage, everything, those things that are just kind of the nuts and bolts of our, of our biological existence here on earth. There, there is a word, uh, another word for life, that is in the original form of suke or psyche. That would be our emotional life, that our, our mind, our thoughts. So that would even be more appropriate. How's your psyche today? That'd be a weird question, but wouldn't it be better to ask rather than how's your life? 
How was your emotional state this week? You see how, see how beautiful it is and that we would be able to be specific and we would also be able to, to, to understand the intent of somebody writing about the difference between bios and, and, and psyche. All right, so I know this is a little classroomy, and I, I get that, but it, it gets to a very deeper point today. Uh, there is a third word, which we'll get to in a minute, but I want you to see that in the Scripture, in the Bible, the, all three of these words for life uh, are used. Watch this. We begin in 2 Timothy today in chapter 2 and verse 4. This is an unrelated topic, but I want you to see how Paul is using this word. He's talking to his, his protege, Timothy, and he says, hey, let me remind you that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits or affairs of this bios. If you look at the word that's in the original Greek, it's bios. In other words, don't get involved. He's saying don't get so entangled in this existence, your daily, your jobs, your blah, blah, blah. He's saying that we, we're on a different plane. Don't, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, uh, affairs of this life, which is bios. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of bios. You'll find that word again. In other words, my status in this existence, my job, my house, my car, those bios, nuts and bolts things, the pride of life, the pride of bios is not from the Father but of the world. Now we look at the word psyche, our emotional state of being, our mind. In Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse 25, do not be anxious about your psyche. That's the, you'll find that Greek word right there. That's, don't be anxious about the things that cause you to go, ah! That emotional, he said, don't, don't let that rule your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, nor about your body, what you put on. But is not psyche, your emotional being, more than food, more than body, more than clothing? So now we land on the verse that we, is going to be kind of our, our, our focus today. It's the fourth verse of the first chapter of John. Each week we've gone verse by verse and, and we've looked at this. And today we land on the fourth verse. And on this fourth verse, what I have been surprised at as I've, you know, even I've spent many years studying the, the Word of God, the Bible, and I'm always surprised at how fresh it is. That, that when you, you think you know a lot about it, and then God just opens up another cavity, another reservoir, and like, wow, that, you know. And so the thing that I have been very taken with as we've dissected these first five verses of the book of John is not, how, not only how profound and ethereal it is, but how relevant it is. So you would think that something that is so deep and profound in the beginning, you know, was the word and all that, you would think, wow, that is just kind of, a little out of reach for us at our everyday level. But what I think you'll see today is that it's both profound and extremely relevant for our lives, and I like that. I'm not one to swim around uh, and, uh, concepts and just kind of, hey, let's just talk about really deep things and blah, blah, blah. I, I'd rather have you know a screwdriver and a hammer and I got something to hold on to. And I think that you'll see that today, especially living in an American culture 
where there's so many options for bios and psyche. And Christ comes along and offers something else. We begin in the fourth verse of John chapter 1, speaking of Christ in him, and there's the word, was life. And that life was the light of men. Now, if you were here, if you were here last week, you know that we, we spoke about creation because verse 3 says that nothing that has been made has been made without him. And you would think that he is talking about life and light, which brings up pictures of the creation story in Genesis, that perhaps the word here in him was life, in the wake of the verse that talks about creation, would be the word bios. In him is bios. In other words, we, you know, Acts chapter 17, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, and, and you would think, well, maybe that's it. That's not the word. Then you might think, well, in him, we're talking internally, is life. Maybe we're talking about our emotional state, that we have a greater emotional state in Christ. That's not the word. Psyche is not used here in the Greek. It's the third word. And it's a word that perhaps you've heard before. It's the word zoe. When you read this, the, the intent of John as he's writing this this verse, it makes a difference that we don't genericize this word life in this moment. In him was life because we'll think, well, sure, he gave us life because he's the creator. He's talking at a deeper and more relevant level. This verse says, in Christ, there is Zoe, and in that Zoe is the life of men. Zoe is this life that comes only when we connect to God. It is that reservoir of peace that comes, that, does, that is only directly umbilical to the living God. It is that thing which every human being is looking for, even if they don't know it, even if they don't understand it. And the reason is that we're looking for it is that we are designed to look for it and we are designed to find it and we're designed to experience this thing called Zoe. It's that thing that many of us as followers of Christ sitting in this room understood when Christ said, come unto me, all you that are heavy and weighed down with bios, because I'll give you Zoe, rest. And so you may say, well, so is it, is it the th type of thing where if you don't have God and Christ, if you don't have Christ connected in your life, then is Zoe absent? The answer is yes. The answer is that Christ gives us something that we cannot get from other places or other things or other people. Jesus comes along in John chapter 10, and he says, let me tell you one of the reasons I've come to the planet. He says this, I have come that they may have Zoe, life. That is the word he uses there. I've come that they may have Zoe, and not only that, I've come to have it to the full, to, to, to this abundant level. So when you look at, at our lives, every single person that you'll ever come in contact with has both bios and psyche. They have life circumstances and they have emotions, and they, that, that's part of every living being. 
If you happen to be sitting in the marketplace and Jesus walks up and says, hey, I'm here to give you life, you would think, well, what is, why? I'm alive. What do you mean by that? Why would you offer me something? It's like me coming up to you and say, hey, I'm, I, I, it looks like you need a shirt. You're like, well, no, I have a shirt. Looks like you need some, a pair of shoes. I got a pair of shoes. Looks like you need life. I'm alive. Nicodemus was confused when he came to Christ. And Christ said, no, there needs to be a, a new life birthed in you. He was like, birthed in me? I've been in religion all my life. I don't, I don't quite comprehend what you're talking about. I mean, are you talking about going back in my mother's womb and being born a second time? Remember, he's like, I, I, he's, he's read all the religious books and he still doesn't quite wrap his mind when Jesus said, no, there is another dimension that I can only give. Jesus said, I have come to give you Zoe and give it to the fullest. And the implication then would be, I got something that you don't have, even though you're alive biologically and psychologically. Make sense? He goes a step further in 1 John chapter 5. John says, let, let, me, let me clarify this for you. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, whoever has the son has life, Zoe. There it is again. And it's as if John says, and in case I haven't been clear yet, he makes this very bold and defining statement. He who does not have the Son of God does not have Zoe. There it is. It's as if John would say, any questions? Anybody any questions? Well, maybe I could, nope. John would say, nope. Maybe I could go over here, nope. He who does not have life, who is not connected internally with Christ eternally, will not have Zoe. By the way, when you look at the word Zoe in the book of John, and you add up the number of times you see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John exceeds the word Zoe with all of them, more than all of them combined. You see, John understood the internal nature of Jesus. That was his value. Here's where it becomes really relevant to us because this is pretty, if, would you agree, this is pretty like, wow, this is, this is ethereal. You know, this is, this is profound. This is internal. This is not like, hey, you know, open your book to page 37. You'll see it in the third paragraph type stuff. This is, this is not black and white stuff, and yet it's black and white relevant. So let's look at some, uh, some, some ways I believe this comes from heaven right up into your back door, right into your life and makes it relevant. Watch this. Zoe... This life with God transcends bios and psyche. Okay, let me say that again. This life, this peace, this this life, this Zoe life that Christ can only give supersedes, is superior, is better, it transcends bios and psyche. What do you mean by that, Steve? Let me tell you what I mean by that. We often think that when things are going wrong and our bios seems to fall apart, then something's wrong with God. And then our psyche freaks out and our psyche feels, oh no, those oh no moments. 
And God says, if you're clinging on to that, your life will be at up and down as much as the New York Stock Exchange. Because everybody's bios is unstable. Everybody's bios is unstable. And I work very hard at stabilizing my bios. I have every insurance policy known to mankind. If somebody comes to my office, my staff will tell you, if they have a cough of the least bit, they'll knock on my door. Hey, Steve, uh, <coughs> can I come in? I'm like, is that a cough? Uh, and I'm like, hey, you know, we can communicate from the door. You just, you know, you stay right there. Uh, and as I remind you, I'm part Irish, I'm part hypochondriac. And it's just, uh, that's how I'm wired. And then I'll reach under my desk, for real, and I will get, pull out my essential oil mix. And I may spray a little in their eye, but they'll be fine. And I, uh, I'm trying to stabilize my bios. I don't want to get sick. I want to ensure that it's all going to be right. But life is unstable, is it not? So this past week, I get a text from our associate pastor, Jim Childs, and he said, hey, I just had a meeting. I'm going home. Something's wrong. I've got this pain kind of in the back and in the side. I said, oh, Jim, if it's, if it's a kidney stone, uh, you will not be able to drive yourself to a hospital because I've been there, done that, and gave birth to one. Sure enough, an hour later, he uh, said, I need somebody to drive me to the emergency room. And he gave, he's a proud papa of a beautiful four millimeter kidney stone or whatever it is. Bios is unstable. You never know with your health, with your job. I may get fired right after this sermon. I never know. It could really tank, you know? You don't know what I'm going to say later. People lose jobs, people get sick, people, and we, as much as we try, we know it's unstable. Our psyche is unstable. As much as I pride myself in being a temperate person, cool as a cucumber, by golly, here comes torpedo out of the back, you know, and hitting you in the rear door, right? And if you think you're cool as a cucumber, and I'm like, ah, I just fall apart, ask my wife. And as much as we try, those unexpected bios moments cause our psyche to go into overdrive. And what Christ is saying to us is that Zoe supersedes that, and the wheels may be falling off your bios, and your emotions may be going down like a, a sinking ship. But through all of that, Christ says, I have something different. I have a solidity that I bring. I have a, a Zoe a peace that will not change because it's not only internal. Listen, it's eternal, and eternal things don't change. Amen. That's the beauty of it. Amen. So when, when I, I look at a guy like Paul, who is writing a book called Philippians, which is called The Prison Letter, he's writing from prison, and he writes these words. I know what it is to be in need. Oh, yes, he does, if you know his story starvation, being beat to an inch of his life. I know what it is to be in need. And he says, I know what it is to have plenty. There were supporters around Paul that took care of him physically. He said, listen, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content. 
You see, somebody here today is looking for the secret. You're looking for that thing, and you don't even know what it is. That if I could just get this job, if I could just win that relationship, if I could just, whatever that thing is, get my degree and feel better, whatever that thing, if I could just do that, then I would have that thing that I'm looking for. And Christ says, it's not a thing. It's a, it's a person. It's me, Christ would say. I think one of the most powerful questions that we find in all the Bible is after the resurrection when Christ comes upon Mary and she's crying. And you notice he doesn't say, what are you looking for? He says, who are you looking for? Last week I shared my story. I heard Billy Graham on a television show and it created then, it ignited a two to three month quest for God. And, I, and it took me a little while, I'm a little slow, trying, trying to find things out and figure things out. And during that two to three year quest, had you interview me and say, hey, what are you looking for? You know what I was saying? I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know what I'm doing right now is not scratching the itch. Because God has designed us to experience Zoe, and even though you may be here today and you think, I'm just going to go to church, I don't know why or I'm looking for something, I don't even know what it is, I promise you today, it's Christ. He is the only one that can give you the Zoe. And so when I look at Paul, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, it is Christ and Christ alone that can give me strength. You see, because I, I think about the Christmas story. And the Christmas story, it's so real. Here's Mary and Joseph, and I want you to think of the instability of their bios and their psyche. So Mary is minding her own business, and then this messenger from heaven comes and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and uh, it's not going to come through a, a human relationship with a man. Okie doke, no problem. And you're going to be honored throughout all generations. Okay, what do you think her psyche was at that moment? Like, woo! That's better than a job promotion if you, if you missed it. You are highly favored by God, audibly. There was no secret, audibly. You're favored by God. I mean, her emotions must have been just like riding high. Let's have a favored by God party. <laughs> oh, by the way, the leader of the country is going to kill your baby, try to kill your baby. Shadunk. <laughs> and by the way, your husband, um, he's going to want a divorce. And then, by the way, Joseph, you know, he's at the Christmas party and says, hey, here's one for you. Uh, Mary's pregnant. <laughs> Okay, congratulations. Let's break out the cigars. Hey, before you do that, uh, I'm not the father. Oh, okay. All righty. Um, God is. And that's when at the Christmas party you go, hey, Joe, great to see you, right? 
And then you see two people talking in the corner, kind of point like that. Hey, Joe's going to have a baby by God. <laughs> and then, by the way, you're going to have to move to Egypt. You know the history of Israel, right? Egypt was not a great vacation <laughs> oasis. And then when you come back, hey, let's live in Bethlehem. Nope, we're going to Nazareth, the armpit of the Middle East, apparently. <laughs> Their life in the Christmas story is up and down. It reflects the reality of our life. And unless we have something to hold on to, then Paul, again, writing from a prison, says, do not be psyched out about anything. He had every right to write this. Don't be psyched out about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the reservoir of life, which transpires and transcends all understanding beyond your human capacity to wrap your mind around, that will guard your heart when the wheels are falling off your bios. That will guard your heart and your mind when you think, God doesn't love me anymore because my emotions are tanking. You see, this is the loving God of the Bible. Let me give you a dimension that you can't get anywhere else. Because life, at its best, is like this. Before I leave this topic, I wish like crazy I could say I'm, I've mastered this. I always want you to know that your struggles are about just like mine. And there's a percentage of time that I tap into the Zoe that God is offering. And there's a percentage of time that I don't. And I'm just being real with you and saying, hey, the times I don't are lousy. And the times I do stabilizes. And I know that rings true with somebody sitting in this room. Here's the second thing. Um, I, think you, I think we can misinterpret one for the other. Especially, again, living in a, an American culture where there's a lot of eye candy. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when BIOS is really good, you know, when you find that new relationship, when you get that new thing, there's, there's actually a release in your brain when you purchase something and it feels so good until it breaks. And then there went that. But it's easy to, for those of you that are successful, it's easy to think that that bios success is Zoe. It's easy to think that emotional happiness and well-being is Zoe. It's not. And the danger is if we misinterpret one for the next, we won't pursue God for Zoe if our bios and our psyche is doing just fine, thank you. That's the danger. That's why, as human beings, we tend to search for God in the foxhole. And when things are going fantastic, 
God then becomes an option because our human side, our wiring is saying, hey, we don't need it. We don't need God. Why would I need God? How many times have I talked to a human being and said, why would I need God? So I'm just wondering in your life, like, could it be that you're substituting bios for Zoe? That it's just a, a pursuit for your next happy? That we live a Photoshop, Facebook life, and it's easy to pursue that thing. Sometimes it's, most of the time, it's good things. Sometimes it's not good things. Sometimes it's, sometimes people pursue danger. If you're a dangerous, you know, danger-seeking person. I have never been tempted with that in my whole life. But some people are danger-seeking, you know, and they're looking for that that emotional high, and when they find it, when they jump off, you know, a 100-floor building on a bungee cord, like, woo, life is great. And you can substitute that. You can substitute those purchases. You can substitute that sense of emotional high for what Christ has to offer. C.S. Lewis captured this brilliantly, as he would. He writes these words, bios and psyche have to be sure, watch, a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to Zoe, but only the sort of resemblance there is between a photo and a real place or a statue and a real man. Isn't that brilliant? In other words, God would say, don't settle for the photo in life. In fact, it's okay to enjoy the photo. It's, o- it's okay to enjoy fun things in, in life, but if you're seeking those things to substitute for the life, that inner life, that satisfaction that God can give to you, you will always come up wanting more. you always come up wanting more. I have to say something extremely cautiously today to you, very, very carefully, because... People ask, is 360 a charismatic church? And I say, yo. Um, That's a combo of yes and no. Don't know if you knew that. It's original Greek, by the way. See how much you're learning today? Yo. (laughs) We are not cessationists, which means that we believe, you know, some people believe the Holy Spirit stopped working in the book of Acts. I don't, I can't wrap my head around that particular belief. We believe that the Holy Spirit is free to move ever how he desires. Some people are healed. Some people exercise spiritual gifts. Some people, so we are, I have never had um, any desire to stand in the way of how God wants to move through the Holy Spirit. So, but we won't make seeking experiences the centerpiece of who we are. We'll make seeking God the centerpiece of who we are. Does that make sense? I have been in too many circles where there has been a misinterpretation of God's movement for emotion. And and what happens is there begins this pursuit of emotional high. And that is not the pursuit that God has us on. I'm saying it very respectfully, but I've seen too much damage. 
And so as a shepherd, I've, I always feel like I got to give you every angle of the picture, even if I may step on people's toes. Is it okay to be emotional with God? Of course. Read the Psalms. David weeps. David shouts. David dances. That's no, no problem with that. But David sought the living God. I would even say to you, our pursuit is not Zoe. Our pursuit is God who gives Zoe. You see how subtle that can get? Because listen, let me be real with you. The majority of time I come out of prayer, I'm not on some kind of spiritual, emotional mountaintop. God calls us to pray and to be with God because we love him. If that, I, I've been there too many times where I'm going to seek God and I better feel good by the time I end and God says, are you seeking me or are you seeking a feeling? Whether God shows up in emotion because sometimes I'm a crier, I cry in prayer, great. But I can't come to prayer and say, oh, I better cry and it's not a good prayer unless I've cried. It's not a good prayer unless I've done backflips. It's not a good prayer unless something major emotionally has happened. We seek God and let him flow. And I believe that it's easy to mix match, mismatch the, the bios and psyche and Zoe. Respectfully delivered. Finally, I think the Christmas story reminds us that there is one fueling station for Zoe. It's Christ. And we know that for, the, for followers of Christ. We know that. But I think there are times where, we, where God needs to redirect us, retrack us, repath us, and remind us that whatever those things are that we're looking so desperately for, it's only Christ and Christ alone. Can I review 1 John chapter 1, verse 4? Those first four words are profound. In him is life. The implication is in him alone is life. In other words, there is no other place that we will find that secret reservoir that we're all looking for. In fact, in John chapter 5 and verse 26, Jesus made this bold statement, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. There, respectfully, is no other religious leader that has the capacity to deliver Zoe to anyone because, respectfully, they're all laying six feet under the dirt right now across the world. Christ came and he died, he was buried, but he came back from the dead, and because he came back from the dead, he now has the eternal capacity to deliver Zoe. If he were living, if he were in some Middle Eastern grave right now, that would be an absolute lie. But because of Christ and who he is, he alone, he the only one who came back from the dead, he alone who is alive after being dead, he alone is the only one that can deliver Zoe to your soul. Don't forget, Christ is the only fueling station. And we have to use a lot of muscle in a culture that gives us a lot of eye candy.
A lot of eye candy. I, you know the word clickbait? I just learned that. Clickbait. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I can see the teenagers, the, the young, like, yes! Finally used a relevant word, unless that's really stupid. Is that a bad word? Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry. There have been times where, like, I'll have somebody, you know, a teenager or early 20s after a match, like, hey, I wouldn't say that again, because what it means in our, oh, like, oh, boy, I just, you know, cussed at you and didn't even know it. See, I told you, bios is unstable. I'm going to make it fired here. Clickbait is where you're online and they're trying to say, click here, click here, click here. It's a scintillating headline. It's an offer you can't refuse. Click here, click here, click here. Because some people get paid by the number of clicks they have. Listen, life is full of clickbait. That's not quite as deep as C.S. Lewis, but... <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Isn't it, right? You see how relevant this ethereal content is to our life? Jesus is saying, I know you're tempted in many, many ways. And so we end with these words of Paul, again, from the jail cell. In Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me, to live, we're talking about life, is Christ. And, it, and it, what it, it reminds me that Paul understood that not everybody was going to click on Christ. Not everybody was going to choose Christ. And for that reason, he said, Okay, for me, I choose Christ. For me, I'm going to choose Christ in a crazy culture of many selections. For me, I choose Christ. How about you? My Christian brothers and sisters, what is life beckoning, beckoning you to click? Or what are you clicking right now? What are you choosing right now? that may be a very cheap substitute for Zoe? What emotions right now are maybe tanking you and you need to reach beyond your psyche, your emotions, beyond your bios, bios and tap in to the Zoe of God? And I wonder if you're here today and you're looking for something if today God has revealed to you mysteriously and supernaturally that you're not looking for a thing, you're looking for Christ. Gosh, I wish someone would have shared that with me in my quest. It's of such value. It is the question in the scripture that stands head and shoulders. Who is it that you're looking for? Christ answers that in him alone is life. Father, how grateful we are that in the midst of being 
saturate it with bios and psyche that's so unstable, as we all know. You, through Christ alone, offer an internal and unchanging dimension that is so difficult to even put into words, God, because it is the peace that does pass our understanding and does pass even our ability to articulate it. And yet, there's so many of us that understand so deeply when Christ said, come to me, you that are heavy laden, that are, that are weighted down, that are anxious, that are broken, come to me and I will give you rest. There's so many of us, God, that understand that. And there's some today here in our family that perhaps have not fully realized that and, and across that, that intersection with Christ. So God, I, I want to pause and we pray for each other during this time. And we pray, God, for those whose emotions, whose psyche and perhaps bios is just being tanked right now. And we pray, God, for a reversal of direction in their lives. It, even if the circumstance don't, doesn't change or even if their emotions don't change, God, a reversal of dependence. To, to reverse their, their dependence so that they are truly umbilical, God, to you so that they can find and experience or re-experience, God, that peace that passes understanding. Thanks for loving us at our lowest, God, and thanks for loving it at our highest. For those, God, who are experiencing the best of bios and the best of psyche now, God, but perhaps have found themselves through the revelation of your word today, has found themselves, God, enjoying and living in that alone, with, and it has caused their pursuit of you, God, to be subtracted or at least reduced. And so, God, I pray, we pray, God, together for reality, that those things will only last a certain while and Zoe is forever, and you are God forever. Finally, God, as followers of Christ, we bear the weight of the gospel, and we bear the burden of those who seek, are seeking you, even right now in this room. Help us to bear the weight of that in prayer, God, because we also sought you and found you and God how can we be recipients of Zoe and not be burdened for those without and so we pray even in this moment God that for those that are pursuing you and they thought it was a thing that they were looking for and today perhaps they've realized it's a who that they're really looking for you we pray God that they will make a choice today 
and come to you and say, Christ, here I am with all my fractures and all my brokenness. And, and here I am, God, and I want the life of Christ in me. Through the cross of Jesus who paid for all of our sin, all of our mistake, he has the right to say, I forgive you. And we come to Christ who was buried and, and was dead for three days and came back for, from the dead, who has every right to say, I can give you life. So God, it is to you and you alone, Christ, it is to you and you alone that we come for Zoe and we pray, God, for those who have come searching that they may say, I want Christ. I yield myself to Christ. I, f I commit to following Christ. And as we're praying together for you, as we did in, the, in our first service, we, we like to say, hey, God gives you an opportunity to acknowledge your heart to him. I wonder if you're here today and you're looking for, for God and you have discovered now Christ through his, through his cross forgives you. Christ through his resurrection can live in you. I wonder if today you would say, I, I want Christ in my life. I'm tired of looking. I want Christ in my life today for the first time. I want Christ in my life. We had several in our first service that say, I want, I want Christ. Would you, would you feel comfortable in allowing me to pray silently for you, never to embarrass you, but to, to slip up your hand privately and, and to say, I want Christ for the first time, to acknowledge before God, God, me and you, I want God. I want God, I want you in my life. Is there anyone that would privately slip your hand up right now and say, I want Christ? you desire, as we sang before, to be the center of our lives. And for that reason, God, we are more thankful than we can put words on. Even, God, wherever we are, wherever our bios is and wherever our psyche is, God, right now we are grateful that you are eternal and unchanging. And so, Father, we end this day by giving you praise and thanks, not for what you can do, God, but for who you are. In the name of Christ, our life giver.